if you've got a diversity of opinions, if everyone brings their own ideas together and everyone says, hey, I approach it like this. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I had this idea here. How about you combine the two of those? That is where the magic happens. And that is how you turn a good idea into a brilliant one. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking, and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Hey, hey, everyone. It's Sam here. Today's guest on the Elevate podcast is someone I'm super excited to chat to. He's worked in advertising on above and below the line campaigns for big name accounts, including the Commonwealth Bank. He's an entrepreneur and has launched multiple startups, including the incredible Junkie Media who published those super entertaining batchy recap videos. He's the author of the award-winning Cult Status, How to Build a Business People Adore, and Killer Thinking, How to Turn Good Ideas into Brilliant Ones. And did I mention that he'll be one of our presenters at Elite Retreat in Bali in July? So without further ado, Tim Duggan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sam. And I am very excited to not only chat today, but also to come to Elite Retreat in Bali. It's great to have you on the podcast. I've long been a fan of your work at Junkie, even though I'm in completely the wrong demographic for it. And I'm super excited to have you at Elite Retreat in July. Are you excited to get there? I really am. I love Bali. I think it's Indonesia is one of my most favorite places. And I look forward to just meeting agents and everyone else in the real estate industry and talking through some of the ideas inside my book and hopefully just having really interesting, meaningful discussions with people about how to build really strong communities around their businesses. I think real estate agencies in particular are the definition of what a community is around a business. They are literally in a physical location that's often close to people. It's a real emotional transaction that happens when you're talking about people's houses. And so there's this real ability for real estate agents in particular to just build really strong communities. And that's something that I can't wait to talk to people about in July. Yeah, absolutely. And so just so we can get to know you a little bit better, because you've had an amazing career, you've acted as an advisor to many businesses and sectors over the years. So can you give us a little bit of a background on some of the work that you've been involved in? Sure thing. So I started straight from school. I wanted to go into advertising. I'd always been interested in marketing and things like that. I had no idea what it was or how to get into it. So I started in the mailroom of an advertising agency in around the turn of the millennium. So some of your listeners might know what mailrooms are. (laughs) Anyone younger than 40 probably has no idea what a mailroom is. But I would go around to the desks of creatives, account management, accountants, the CEO, and deliver their mail. And when I sat down with them, I would talk to them about what are you doing and how does this work and how do you come up with ideas and creativity and how do you market things? And it was this really amazing stage for me to understand what I wanted to do with my life, how advertising worked, how marketing worked. I was in it for a couple of years when I started following one of my other passions, which was journalism. I'd always loved writing at school. I watched the movie Almost Famous and said I wanted to be like that kid in Almost Famous who 
goes on tour with the band. And so I very precociously started contacting the editor of Rolling Stone in Australia saying, I want to write for you. I want to do album reviews for you. You considered this angle. What about this story here? Despite the fact I had no experience, I'd hardly written anything before, but I knew I just really loved it. And I loved electronic music, which was my in with the magazine. So I then eventually got a gig as being one of the main contributors to Rolling Stone Australia, writing most of their electronic music coverage for a few years. And that was where I really fell in love with music and journalism and how to create content for people that really resonated. It was around this time, in about the mid-2000s, that some friends of mine had started a music, online music community website called In The Mix, which is all about electronic music and going out. And I saw what they were doing at the time. I had recently come out as gay and I was starting to put some events on in that space. And I said to them, does anything exist like In The Mix for the gay and lesbian community? And I did a bit of research and realized it didn't. And so with some friends, I launched my first website, which is called Same Same in 2006, I think it was. It all gets a little bit hazy once you start getting back <laughs> that far. Yeah. Um, and that was a community website where we had news and reviews and photos. And it was a really amazing for me because it was one of my first tastes of how you build a really strong community around events, around online forums, around bringing people together and giving them uh, somewhere to uh, an altar, essentially. Um, to come together. And same, same, then grew into this um, really interesting website. We sold it in 2010 or 2011. And some of the business partners left the business and myself and my main business partner, Neil, then launched Junkie in 2013, which was a pop culture site originally for young Australians. And that company then kind of grew and grew until we had about 60 or 70 full-time staff. We published Junkie, which was for news and politics and pop culture for Australian millennials. We had Punky, which, as you mentioned, did the Bachelor recaps and things like that, which was really fun. We did a partnership with Qantas called AWOL, and we had a bunch of really great long-term partners like American Express and Netflix that we did all their social media for Australia and New Zealand. And that then led me to my co-founders and I decided to sell the company in 2016 to an ASX sister company. I hung around for a few years because I quite enjoyed it. It was quite fun. I had an earnout to do as well. And then I left in 2020 and started writing books and currently writing my third book as I travel the world, which is pretty fun. Yeah, there's so much interesting stuff in there to unpack. One, you know, again, I need to have a fangirl moment and say how excellent those batchy videos were and how much we all miss them. But also, I mean, you took Junkie, it was just the two of you, to being like named Australia's largest publishing company of the year in 2018. Can you give us a little bit of that journey? Because, I mean, it's interesting from the point of view of even if you're a real estate business, I think part of what you need to do is grow an audience that really want to listen to you and create content that really want to listen to you. And, you know, in real estate, there's amazing opportunities to do that. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and how you got to being like the large publishing company of 2018? Yeah. And I think when I recite it back in a minute or two, it makes it sound like it's linear, like one thing happens and then something happens after that. But the reality is it's a lot messier. It is a lot more one step forward, two steps backwards than that. So we were a publishing company for 
millennials. And we had a bunch of different websites when we launched Junkie. So Junkie wasn't the first website that we'd launched. And if anything, the lesson in that is that often when people see the success of your most successful product, they think that you came up with an idea, you launched it, it grew. Whereas we had about seven or eight different publications as well as Junkie that we launched. Some of them we started, then we folded. Some of them we folded into Junkie when it happened. Some of them we rebranded over the years. So there's a real interesting lesson in that we kind of had lots of different horses in the race. We saw which horse was winning and then we really doubled down on that. And so that's what happened with Junkie because when we launched it, it was just one of our websites. Within six months, it really hit a nerve. So we had launched lots of different things over the years, but there was a real difference to Junkie, so much so that within the first year, it was named the media brand of the year publication. And then I think the year after that, we named the publishing company of the year. And the reason why I think it really landed was for a couple of reasons. One was we did a lot of research into the audience. So rather than just create something, we really wanted to understand who our audience was. So we commissioned an independent third party, a, a research company, to do what turned into the largest longitudinal study of Australian youth that has been running for 12 or 13 years since we launched it, spoken to 25 or 30,000 people over that time. And that really told us what was missing in the space. And the second thing we did was really figure out our point of difference. So at the time in the space that we were in, which was youth publishing, there was a bunch of other publishers who existed who all did really good things and they had their niche. And what we saw was there was this gap and the gap, we crudely defined it as smart young Australians, which kind of meant that we started talking about, hey, this is how politics works. This is why you should get engaged or something's just happened in the news. Here's an explainer on how to do it. All the stuff that I think you look at it now and you see the media landscape and you think, of course, that makes sense. We do explainers and you talk about the news and you, you know, break things down, complex things into really simple ways. But at the time when we started doing that, not many other publications were doing it. So it was a really good point of difference. I feel like there's a massive lesson in everything you've just said, because I mean, I've read Cult Status twice now. You know, even in your early businesses and things like that, you were very clear on the niche and the type of customer that you really wanted to target. How important is that? I think that's probably one of the most important things. So Cult Status was my book that I wrote in the couple of years leading up to 2020. It was released right in the middle of the pandemic. Luckily, I had some time when COVID first hit to rewrite a bunch of chapters and go and speak to some of the people, just kind of see how they were dealing with this whole new world. But part of the reason why I had to write Cult Status was to take some of these lessons of not only building Junkie and what my business partners and I had learned over the years, but also speaking to dozens of people all around the world who had built really strong communities around their businesses. And it didn't really matter what industry it was. So it could have been makeup, it can be real estate, it can be shoes, it can be online media. There was a real commonality that I discovered. And one of those commonalities was that the very first thing, the most important thing to do when you think about wanting to create something or wanting to build a strong community is what I call in the first chapter of the book, think impact first, is to really distill it down to think not about numbers, 
not about how much money you want to make, not about how many sales you want to get, but think through what that actually means in terms of the human behind that. So what is the impact that your business will have if you are successful? And I think if, as soon as you take the monetary value away from things and you distill it down to the human behind the money and what impact you want to have on that, that really changes everything. And that was one of the lessons that I discovered through doing research for the book and also something I learned the hard way after launching several businesses and figuring out what the difference between the successful ones and the unsuccessful ones was. Yeah, like actually just that one thing is something that I've thought about a lot as well since reading it because it might or might not surprise you to know that the first time I read that book was before I met you. It's my 21-year-old daughter who recommended it because she said, oh, you're in publishing. You should read this book about how to build a business that people adore. And I love that line, how to build a business people adore. And when I sort of looked into your background and everything and I thought about some of the content that you've created that I've enjoyed over the years and things like that, it truly does have a particular voice and a particular tone and is aimed at a particular person that, you know, I kind of thought there must be some really good lessons here for real estate agents. Yeah. And I think the lessons are applicable no matter what industry you're in. Yeah. So real estate agents are content creators. Real estate agents are publishers. The difference between someone who publishes content on a media website and someone who publishes the content on a real estate website are actually not that great at all. I think you need to apply some of those same principles of thinking who your audience is, thinking what your point of difference is, thinking what your cadence is and your tone of voice and how you're going to communicate to them. And that's why if you look at some of the most successful real estate agents worldwide, they're all their own publishing powerhouses. They create content for primarily social media, primarily their own websites and blogs and opinion pieces. And that is exactly the same way of thinking as a media company would apply. You could kind of extend that though. Like I'm putting my killer thinking hat on now, which we'll talk about in a second. That was just the second book. But, you know, just thinking you don't all have to look the same on REA. You could take a different style of photos. You could have a different style of listing copy. You could be speaking to, you know, a particular segment of the market. 100%. I think the most successful real estate agents are the ones that have their own unique style that is unique to them, whether that is the way that the brand is presented, whether that's the way the copy is done, whether that's the way the videos are made. If you can figure out what your unique style is, and the way that I refer to that in cult status is about knowing what your superpower is, the thing that you do that no one else does, the more you know what your superpower is and you can lean into that, the more successful that you're going to be. Yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, so let's talk about killer thinking because we're going to be talking about cult status a bit at the event and how to build an agency people adore. And I believe you're going to give us a bit of extra juice on some of the stories that you tell in the book and all of that sort of thing. So we might just park that one and save that one for elite retreat. But I'm also keen to talk about killer thinking, which is all about turning good ideas into great ones. How do you know, like, well, I mean, you're an entrepreneur as well. So how do you know when an idea is a good one and worth investing more into? I mean, that was the genesis of the book. It was thinking through all of us have ideas every day. Every single person is creative. Things come into our mind, especially entrepreneurial people. People listen to this podcast, obviously have an interest in business and in coming up with ideas. And so how can you figure out, okay, which of these ideas can I take? How do I massage and refine it and 
take it from good to great to brilliant, to, to really killer and brilliant. And so that was the original idea that got me thinking about killer thinking. And when I started looking at some of the best ideas in the world, which range from business ideas that sell billions of dollars worth of product through to social movements that raise billions of dollars for charities, through to just things that are good for our world and our planet. I actually came up with the acronym KILLER, which though a killer idea already existed, I took KILLER and distilled down as that is what makes a really brilliant idea. And so KILLER stands for what most brilliant ideas in the world have in common. And so the K is for kind, impactful, loved, lasting, easy, and repeatable. And they are the ingredients about what makes a really, really good idea. And if you come up with a good idea and you're like, ah, that one's quite good, there's now a framework, which is the killer framework, on how can you make that idea more kind, more impactful, more loved, more lasting, more easy, or more repeatable. Because if you can tweak an idea on any one of those axes, so how can I make this more repeatable? How do I make this easier? How can I make this more loved? If you can tweak those, that is how you start refining the idea so it's got the best chance of really staying there and having staying power and being super impactful. And how do you then take that like another level down? Because I often sit there, you know, in the backyard of a Saturday with my notepad and a pen and I think about all of these great ideas, but then you've got to kind of take them into a business and engage people and get them on the bus and things like that. So what are your tips for taking like the big idea into actual real life? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you're doing it the right way around, which is that you're sitting there by yourself thinking of these ideas. In the book, I kind of call that putting your own mask on first, fitting your own mask first. And that is the best way of coming up with ideas is thinking them through yourself. So sitting there in the backyard, having a pen and paper and starting to do it. But that is the first step in the process. The next step in the process is then, okay, how can I introduce it to other people? And one really simple theory that I like to think about with this is something that Walt Disney came up with. So a concept that he talked about a lot was this idea of plussing it. And so he used plussing as a verb. And plussing as a verb means how can you take an idea that exists and add something to it? So it might be make it 10% better, or how can you push the idea so it's that little bit better. And so when you start circulating your ideas, so you come in from your hammock and you see your husband there and you say, hey, I've got this idea here. What you're doing then... He shudders when I say... (laughs) (laughs) Well, the one thing that Google did a big study on creativity and the one difference between ideas being really well used and ideas being discarded was psychological safety. So in a team, it needs to be psychologically safe for you to bring up an idea. So I think maybe you should chat to him and make sure that when you're bringing (laughs) ideas to him, is he making it psychologically safe for you to come up with these ideas? (laughs) Yeah. But if you can plus ideas, so someone has an idea and then rather than just saying, nah, that's crap or nah, that's not going to work, what you need to do is figure out how can you make that idea better? So how can you plus add on top of it so that it becomes better. And to do that, if you've got a diversity of opinions, if everyone brings their own ideas together, so not only are you sitting there in the, in the hammock thinking about these ideas, but if your husband's also thinking about it and your work colleague is also thinking about it and you come together, 
and everyone says, hey, I approach it like this. Ah, that's interesting. I had this idea here. How about you combine the two of those? That is where the magic happens. And that is how you turn a good idea into a brilliant one. Yeah, amazing. And so with two amazing books already, can you tell us a little bit about what's coming? I can give you a bit of a hint. Yeah. So I actually just recently handed my first draft of my third book into my publisher. So it's going to come out in 2024, just figuring out timing, sometimes probably in the first or second quarter of 2024. And it's all about this big topic that involves all of us, which is the future of work. So during COVID, all of us had this house of cards of what we think about work and the way that we've worked and our parents have worked and our grandparents have worked. It all fell over. And all of a sudden, in this post-COVID world, this new normal that we're adjusting to, we're trying to figure out how do we want to put it back together and in what way can we think about better ways of working. So since I left full-time work in 2020, I've been using myself as a bit of an experiment. I spent six months in the back of a camper van working as I travelled Australia with my husband. Then we spent six months living in Darwin, working full-time from there but completely remotely. Then I went back to Sydney and then now we're both travelling the world, spending about a month at a time in different cities around the world whilst continuing to work a few days a week. And so I've used this time, not only my personal experience because I'm very privileged to be able to do this, but I've used the time to sit and talk with experts on remote working, experts on four-day work weeks, experts on all of this hybrid world that we're living in from Yale University to Stanford to Oxford to Sydney University and try to figure out where the consensus is on where are these cards going to land in the future for how we work and is there better ways of working. So that's the rough topic that the book is about. I'm hoping to find a way through that big topic to help show people a better way of working. And that's the the conversation I'm having with my publisher at the moment. We're going back and forward on a bunch of ideas and it's really probably the most important, biggest topic I've dealt with. Yeah. I mean, look, that's a super interesting topic, actually, not just from the point of view of where you work, but where you live. So that probably ultimately will have a big impact on the real estate industry too, as people, you know, choose where they want to work from. A huge impact. I think it will affect the way our economies are run over the next 10, 20 years, the way our offices are run. Because the one thing that has not returned to normal, whilst post-COVID, people are no longer searching for how to bake sourdough bread and you know how to do trivia online. All those things have kind of come back. But the one thing that has stayed the same is this world of hybrid working where you can work some days in office and some days not and remote working. That has not changed in the last three years since COVID first hit in terms of the changes that have happened have not gone back to normal. And that is going to have a huge impact for real estate, for society, for how we live and work. Yeah. I see you as someone on the cutting edge of a lot of trends through your work with the Digital Publishers Association, which we're a part of and all of that sort of thing. But what are some of the big global trends you see at the moment that are going to really have a big impact over the next few years? There's loads of trends. And as you mentioned, um, the chairman of a group called the Digital Publishers Alliance, which is a group of the leading independent digital publishers in the country, and very proud to have Elite Agent as one of our members there. And 
there's a lot of trends coming. I think the biggest one, and I've been researching this in the book and kind of going into it, but the book is not about this, but I can't write about the future of work without talking about artificial intelligence, AI, chat GPT, all of the changes that are kind of coming from that. Probably the biggest changes that I've seen since mobile phone, uh, since the iPhone in 2007 or 2008, it feels like there's this rush of energy where something that we always knew was being worked on in the background that sure robots will eventually come one day and sure they'll do things better than we can. All of a sudden, there's a real life test cases that we can use today on how to make our businesses better. And I think that we're just at the tip of the iceberg of how artificial intelligence or artificial general intelligence is going to change our lives. And it's fascinating. It's scary. It is all of the above. Yeah, I think it is very interesting. I mean, you just mentioned Google and Bing. For how many years has Google been the only game in town? And all of a sudden now it's not. Yeah, I think in the same way that the mobile phone ushered in more businesses and entrepreneurship and companies and ideas that could only exist through that platform. I think the same way that AI is going to usher in businesses and companies that we have not even thought of today that will start to question some of the dominance of some of the bigger players. However, the bigger players are so large and so dominant and so wealthy and so influential that they will still have an important role to play in whatever that future is because they'll probably just end up buying some of these companies. Yeah, what a time to be alive, hey? It's extraordinary. It really is. And I think if the changes that we've seen in three months of this, and I know GPT-4 is going to come out soon and have even more capabilities, and then I'm sure there's a thousand other variations beyond that over the next decade, we're just at this tip of the iceberg for this, and I think it's going to be fascinating. And I think the lesson in it is that technology always changes. It always increases at an exponential rate. And you've kind of got two options. One is to sit back and say, I don't trust this thing. I don't like it. I wish things went back to what they used to be before. Or there's embrace it, play with it, figure out how you can use it, figure out how it can benefit your business. And I think that is the space that anyone listening to this podcast should dive into. Yeah, definitely. That's another topic that we'll be unpacking at Elite Retreat. So I'm expecting a bit of healthy debate and things around it because same thing, I was kind of watching a couple of reruns of Downton Abbey on the weekend and, you know, electricity came to Downton Abbey and the cook (laughs) didn't, the maids didn't want to use a sewing machine. But ultimately, (laughs) you know, ultimately I think it's the same thing that you're describing, you know, like it's the maids that got to use the sewing machine were the ones that were able to kind of prove their worth and moving forward into the future. And I, I kind of see GPT as the same sort of thing. Yeah. And I actually think that GPT also is, it's obviously the one that has got all the attention now because it was the first to move. But when a bigger company, like when a Bing comes in or when a Google finally release, you know their one into the wild or when Meta or Snapchat or any of these companies that are all working on it, the technology behind it is so powerful that it is going to just have huge ramifications for, for all of us. And some of them will be positive, some of them will be negative, but they're here. And I think that the only way to deal with it is to jump on board and try to figure out how you can harness it to your advantage. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tim, it's been fantastic talking to you today and I can't wait to see you in Bali in July. And I also can't wait to introduce you to the people attending Elite Retreat because I think that your keynote is probably going to bring the house down, actually. No pressure, though. (laughs) But I just think, as I said, for anyone listening, I've read the book twice and I think that the steps in Tim's book cult status are very relevant to real estate. And, you know, it is almost about finding a tribe and following the process. So can't wait to hear from you. There's always a final question that I ask everyone on the podcast, and that is, you know, thinking about the trends and some of the things that we've spoken about today, if there was one thing that you'd like people to remember or one thing that you'd like them to do as a result of listening to you today, what would that be? Thanks, Sam. And I will also echo that I'm very excited to come to to Bali in July and to meet everyone and go deep into some of these topics around community. I think that the one takeout that I would love people to really understand, and we're going to talk all about community at Elite Retreat, so I'm going to leave that one to the side. But going back to creativity, the topic of my second book, Killer Thinking, if there's one thing that I want people to really take away, it is that every single person is creative. Everyone listening to this has so much creativity and ideas and really freaking good ones inside them. And I just want everyone to have that belief they are creative, that they can come up with amazing ideas. And just like any other tool that we have, creativity is a muscle and you need to use it, practice it in order to get better at it. So if there's one person who's listening to this who is almost ready to write me off because they say, yeah, I don't care about this. I'm not creative. I'll give it to my colleague who's the creative one. Ignore that. You are extremely creative and I want you to come up with some own ideas because that's where great ones come from. Yeah, that's amazing advice, Tim Duggan. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joinaliteagent.com.